As he taught, Jesus said, watch out for the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honour at banquets. They devour widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. These men will be punished most severely. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I say, I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all give out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. Uh, you're very welcome. Again, if this is your first time or if you're one of our, our new guests coming back to check us out, we're so pleased to have you. Um, we're working through the book of Mark the, uh, in the New Testament together as a church and just taking our time to go through it. And we're, we're sort of coming to the end of a, a section now in that uh, gospel uh, story about Jesus, uh, where Jesus has been taking on a lot of um, opposition over the last few weeks. We've seen that. It's come from different quarters, different forms of religious leaders who have sort of tried to tackle Jesus and, and take him down. And I, I think that... Um, uh, one of the problems with, with the modern church, if I may be so bold to say, is that the, the, if you're looking in, if you're not, not, say, a believer or not convinced about the Christian faith, but you're looking in or, or aware of Christians or maybe know them, oftentimes you'll look in and you'll see a mixture, a real mixed bag. And uh, you'll see a mixture between what we could describe as real religion. You know, those who have a genuine, life-transforming relationship with Jesus that's transformed them from the inside out and they live by grace and, um, and all the rest of it. You'll see some of those, but you'll also see people who, um, to use the term, uh, follow a fake religion, a fake and flimsy. You know, for them, religion is, is more uh, of a facade, and so, so what often happens is those who are outside can look at those people and, and just see hypocrisy. And they, they just say, you're all like that. You're all fake. You know, you're all judgy. You all play games. And so outsiders will look and, and, and will think that's what it's like for everybody. And so today in, in the text uh, that we're going to look at here, Jesus was dealing um, with multiple attacks from, uh, let's just say, from those who followed fake religion. You know, it wasn't a life-changing, God-centered faith they had. They didn't want to believe in Jesus. They didn't uh, listen to God's word. They refused to take uh, the, the written scriptures seriously. They saw Jesus as a threat, not somebody to be welcomed. And so Jesus then addresses in this last section here, um, between sort of halfway through Mark 11 to Mark 12, uh, Jesus addresses here this issue of fake religion. And then, and then he contrasts it with, with real religion. And, and he shows very clearly in no uncertain terms what, what the difference is. And there is a difference, and we have to be clear about that, because um, there, are, there are many, uh, unfortunately, within the modern church who, who, who are hypocrites, let's face it. And uh, you know, for them, religion is just a, an outside thing. It doesn't change their hearts. 
Fake religion is damaging, it's oppressive, it's manipulative. And so Jesus has, has given us a way here of distinguishing real from fake. So we'll look first of all this morning at, at real, sorry, at fake religion, and where does that come from, and what, 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 uh, what does Jesus say about that? And then we'll look at uh, real religion after that, and again, you know, let's, let's try and examine that, and, and, and then apply those things to ourselves and ask, well, what one sort of, uh, what one do we resemble most? And then towards the end of that, then we'll, with these ideas in our mind, we'll then think about how that then impacts us here at Foundation Church in, in terms of our, our vision and our mission, what God has called us to do in, in, in our day, in our place. So first of all then, let's look together at the, the fake version of religion. And, and we see that in verses 38 to 40 in the verses that the Rachel's just read for us. Um, Jesus says, he's teaching, and he says, beware of the scribes, right? Watch out for those guys, says Jesus. Be on your guard. Um, the scribes, we, we, we met one of them last week. We, we've, we've been familiar with them in our studies of Mark so far. The scribes are the, the scholars, right? They're the, the experts in religious law. Um, and, and they're highly regarded by many people, uh, mainly because they have such a, a, an in-depth knowledge of the scriptures and of the, you know, the, the uh, religious laws. No one was, was higher in terms of their knowledge than the scribes. And so they were often admired, but they were admired from afar. Because, because you or I, or, or like normal people, could never attain to the level of the scribes in terms of their knowledge of, of God and all the stuff that God has come out with and said in the Bible. Um, but Jesus said of these individuals, this group of people, beware of them. Watch out for those guys. And he gives us some descriptions here. He says, look, they love to walk around in these long, flowing robes, you know, robes that easily identify their office, their status. It was a mark of dignity, you know, uh, just sort of flowing and wandering around the marketplace or what have you. Everybody could see a scribe when they were coming because of their dress. They were calling for for respect. They were trying to show their, their office to those who were outside, you know, the outside world. These are guys that wanted to be seen. They wanted to be respected. Jesus goes on to describe them and, and show that they love to be greeted in the public places. They love the best seats in the synagogue. They love the, the place of honor at the feasts, you know, whether it's a, a religious feast or a, a, like a marriage or a wedding or something like that. They love to have the top seat at the top table, we might say. You know, in, in uh, many um, synagogues in, in Jesus' day, there would not have been seats like we have here. Um, you all would have been sat on the floor. And uh, there would have been maybe some seats at the front here uh, for, for dignitaries to sit, you know, visiting scholars and teachers of the law. And so the scribes, you know, and, and such like would have sat at the front but facing you, you know, as a mark of authority. Uh, they're here to instruct you and teach you and show you how to live your lives. That's how it would have been. And they love those seats. They love to be loved, says Jesus. They wanted people to see them and honor them. They wanted to be seen. So, so for them, their religion was very flashy. It was very showy. They wanted the glory to themselves. But yet there is a, a darkness. There is a dark side to their fake religion, as there is for all forms a fake religion in verse 40, <clears throat> they devour widows' houses. And they're sort of grasping or gobbling up houses that belong to widows. See, the scribes uh, were not independently wealthy. 
Uh, we've met a group of, uh, of leaders um, in, in, in those days called Sadducees, and they were independently wealthy. They were connected to money. They were often connected to the royal line, you know, their princes, that kind of thing. They had money. The scribes did not have their own money, by and large, but what they did was relied on the generosity or the patronage of, of supporters, others to sponsor them. And according to Jesus, the, you know, the vast majority of these scribes were using their external prowess and their, and their self-inflated self-regard uh, to, to, to lean on the weak and the vulnerable, to extract money from them. And so Jesus here identifies that they are chiefly targeting widows, which in that society especially were, were, were vulnerable women. They were easily exploited. We, we don't know how exactly that was happening. It could have been any number of ways. Perhaps these religious legal scholars, these sort of lawyers effectively, were offering their legal services at a very high price to help them, you know, if they're, particularly if they're newly made widows, the husband has died. Um, perhaps they were taking their property as a pledge or a payment on collateral debt. Perhaps they were just somehow uh, manipulating or coercing weak and vulnerable uh, women in this situation to give up the, their property and give it to the, the, uh, the scribes. We don't know exactly how it played out, but we do know that it was unjust. And we do know that they used their religion to prey on the weak. And we do know that they used their religion as a cover-up for the darkness of their hearts. Jesus said they, for a pretense, make long prayers. Long and flashy prayers. There's nothing wrong with long prayers, by the way, but when it is used as a tool to show you how religious I am, then there's a problem. So that's fake religion. It's a game. That is all external, as, as we can see here in this text. That's, it's all about how it looks. It's all about making others be impressed with us. It's all about using religion to build up for yourself power or money or wealth or influence. It's possible to use good theology and God words to convince other people that I am something that I am not. And the problem is, in Jesus' day, as it is for our day, it works. That's why he says, beware. Don't take all that stuff at face value. He's even stronger in his words there at the end of verse 40. He says that these people will receive greater condemnation. You know, they'll be severely punished. I guess it stands to reason, we, we, we all know from general experience that if you do bad stuff, you generally will get into trouble, whether it's before God or before the police or whoever it happens to be. But, but Jesus is saying here, if you use religion as a front or as a tool to do something deeply bad and dark, then your punishment will be severe in the eyes of God. If you start using God to build your kingdom, you're in trouble. It's very active today, I would say, this, this idea of fake religion. Um, there's a couple of ways that we, we see this, I think, playing out in our own contemporary context. Um, the first way I, I think that we see this, um, and it's, it's, it's a new thing, it's a fairly recent phenomenon, is this idea of the celebrity pastor. I don't know if you've ever heard of this concept, right? If you haven't, good, I'm pleased. Um, but the idea of the celebrity pastor um, is, is, is where certain church leaders are elevated uh, 
to such an extent where they almost take on like a rock star status. All right? The personality is huge. Uh, the, 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 there's so much glitz, there's so much glamour, so much celebrity. They hang out with all the famous people, the beautiful people. They often have large churches. They're often, uh, you know, at least in numeric terms, they're often highly successful. And they cleverly market themselves, whether it's through social media or through TV or other sort of online outlets. Uh, often there's a measure of financial success as well off the back of that influence through book deals and movies and goodness knows what else. If you're on uh, Instagram, you may have come across an Instagram account called Preachers in Sneakers. Have you heard of that? Yeah. Uh, it's about preachers who wear sneakers, in our language, trainers. And um, it's, it's, it's the guy who runs the account uh, just, just finds pictures of various celebrity pastors uh, on the internet and um, can, can identify the items of clothing that they're wearing, and then we'll go and search for that item of clothing, and uh, we'll then post you know, a picture of that item of clothing that's for sale in this particular shop, and then we'll show you how much those pair of trainers or that belt or that lovely leather jacket costs. And it's, it's sort of started off as a bit of a joke, but there's a sadness to it as well, because uh, you know, it's just extortionate, the amount of money that people are willing, willing to spend on their, uh, on their trainers. Or on their belt, or whatever they happen to be wearing. You know, these are these are uh, you know supposed to be pastors. These are supposed to be shepherds of the flock, heralds of the gospel of Jesus. What sort of shoes do you think the apostle Paul wore? I get it, okay, because there's, there's obviously a, a cultural element to that. There's a contextual element to that. It depends who you're trying to reach. I get that. But mostly the celebrity pastor status is all external religion. It's what we're seeing here. They love to be loved. They love the best seats and the high fives and the likes on Instagram. They're using God to build themselves up. Even the Apostle Paul, as he was in prison for preaching the gospel, wrote to the church in Philippi and said that some preach Christ, preach the gospel, out of envy and rivalry. And so even in, Jesus, even in Paul's day, people were using the gospel to make something of themselves. And the problem for us is that if we're not careful, we find ourselves getting entrapped. We love it. We love it. Especially if you are somebody who is attracted to the celebrity culture in general, you like to know the famous people and what they're doing and what they're wearing and what happened there and where did they go out last night and all the rest of it, you will find yourself sucked into the celebrity pastor role as well, the celebrity pastor um, model. We look at their appearance and we say, oh, they must be successful, they must be blessed by God, they must be holy. Uh, but Jesus said, beware, examine these people, examine their teaching, um, examine the fruit of their teaching. What is it producing? And later on, we'll see how that package then will compare to the, the real religion that Jesus is talking about. That's the first way I think this fake religion can, can be seen in sort of the wider, let's just say the wider church, you know, contemporary church circles. There's a second way, though, I think. There's a second way that, that we can see this fake religion. It's less flashy. Um, it's less overt. You probably won't find yourself on uh, Preachers and Sneakers, um, the Instagram thing. But um, I think this is more prominent. 
and, and more likely you will experience this or come into contact with this in the local church, no matter what church you're a part of. And I'll, I'll call these people influencers. And I realize that's a term that we can use to describe people who are big on YouTube or big on Instagram or other social media, but people who in general are influencers. Not a celebrity pastor, you know, not like a rock star status, but the same idea. These are people in the local church who use their religion to further their own ends, their own purposes. They use religion to boost their influence, to gain power. And we usually find them uh, in local churches, working the angles, gathering a following, uh, like, like here, preying on the weak people, those who are easily manipulated, those who are easily impressed with their religious veneer. And likewise, they are hard to spot on the surface. And that's why Jesus says, beware. That's the point. They, they, they move under the cover of, of religion, of God words. How do they use their influence? Well, it's not to build up the church. It's not to grow momentum for the kingdom of God. It's the opposite. It's to build themselves up. It divides and shrinks the church. Fake religion looks and sounds plausible, but we must always ask ourselves, what is the fruit? Right? What, is the, what is the fruit um, of the spirit? Uh, love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, and self-control. Is that stuff growing in the lives of those influencers, in the lives of those celebrity pastors, for example? Is it visible? Is it visible in the lives that they are in touch with, they are connecting with? Are they likewise growing the fruits of the Spirit? Or... Is the fruit division and distraction and confusion and toxicity? Jesus says, beware of fake religion. Beware. That's fake religion, but then he flips over and he, he, he discusses then in contrast real religion. And we see that in verses 41 to 44. And uh, almost like continually or continuously uh, from, from the narrative about, about the scribes, then we, we, the focus goes onto somebody else, uh, someone very different. It says, Jesus sat outside, in verse 41, uh, the, the treasury, opposite the treasury, within the temple courts, and watched the people putting their money into the offering box, giving their offerings. Uh, what he was referring to there, or what Mark is referring to, uh, are these large sort of offering collector collects collection receptacles um, called shofar uh, boxes. And shofar is the Hebrew word for horn. And uh, they would have been horn-shaped, uh, tapered to the, you know, a big, big thing, but tapered to the top. Um, that's where you would have put in your money and your coins. It's all coins, of course. There's no cash, there's no checks, there's no contactless. It's just all coins. And, and these big things, there's 13 of them in total uh, in the, uh, the court of the women, it was called. Uh, one of the, the second sort of... Uh, um, regions within the temple. You've got the court of the Gentiles and the court of the women, uh, so forth. And so it's in there, 13 of these. They're all, by law, by the law of Moses, had to be made out of either gold or silver. And so you would have gone along with your offerings as you come to worship in the temple and popped them in the shofar, um, uh, you know, huge things made out of gold and silver. Um, and of course, if you, if you had a lot of money with you, if you came with a big bag of, of, of coins or gold or whatever it happened to be, um, you made more noise as you put this stuff in, and it took longer 
because there's loads, you know, like those machines that people have in Asda where they bring all their two Ps along, you know, and then they save it up and then it sort of generates, a, I don't know how it works, but uh, I never have enough, enough to go in them. But, you know, they come along with these massive bags and then they chuck it all in. And you, as you're paying for your shopping, you just hear all these coins going in and in and in. And then I think it generates a, a credit note or something. Um, much like that, the rich would have taken ages to deposit all their money because they're rich and it's obvious. But I love this. Look at verse 42. Just look for a minute. There's a poor widow who came and put in two small copper coins. And, and, and the thing that's really remarkable here, right, is that Jesus has just spent this last section dealing with all these uh, criticisms and attacks, people trying to kill him off, people trying to undermine him, you know, all fake religion. And the last piece of Jesus' public teaching, which happens here, there's no more public teaching after this, he highlights someone who is totally different from everybody else he has just been dealing with. She's poor. She's a widow. She's a woman. And yet she embodies real religion beautifully. It's remarkable. 40, verse 42, she put in two small copper coins which make a penny. Penny here uh, refers to the Roman coin called a quadrans, um, which was the smallest uh, Roman coin in circulation. So she had two smaller coins, which when you add them up together, make the smallest coin in, in, in the Roman coinage system. Poor. Maybe for us it would have been a pound, something like that. A few quid. And Jesus says in verse 43, truly I tell you, this poor widow, there it is emphasized again how different she is, this poor widow has put in more than all the rest of them. He goes on to say in verse 44, they all gave out of their abundance, out of their surplus, and yet she gave out of her poverty. Listen, she gave everything she had, all she had to live on. Obviously, those who are rich, those who are affluent, what they put in was of more monetary value. But in the eyes of Jesus, and he is the only one whose opinion really counts, in his eyes, she gave inestimably more as a sign of her real religion. One scholar points out the last phrase, all she had to live on, is literally her entire life. She gave her entire life. To God. But note with me, also in verse 43, it says that Jesus called his disciples. So his last act of public teaching uh, in the temple courts was actually getting the team together, his disciples. Yes, others probably heard it, no doubt, but those who were followers of Jesus. Listen to this, says Jesus. From the beginning, Jesus has been showing them and telling them about the kingdom of God and he's been calling them to come and follow him. That's been his mission from day one. And he's been showing what real religion looks like and he says, if you want to come after me, you have to take up your cross and deny yourself and follow me. So, so don't look at the scribes, says Jesus. They are flashy, they're impressive, they're powerful, they're influential, but they're not the model of the religion that I'm here to talk about. They, they don't embody the faith of the kingdom of God. Instead, says Jesus, look, look at this poor widow. 
She is the one who shows true devotion to God. She, she is the one who's given her life fully to him. As we were saying last week, she is the one who expresses total love of God, heart, soul, mind, and strength. Not those scribes, not those rich people. I just think for us today, in the 21st century here, um, I just think this is a massive challenge for us. Um, I, I just think that interestingly, Jesus, after in the, in the last passage, after just discussing the greatest commandment, yeah, you remember that from a week or so ago, love the Lord your God totally, completely, every, every, everything about you, heart, soul, mind, and strength. That is the fundamental principle of religion. I, lo- I just think it's so interesting that after stating that, the first example that he gives is to do with money, giving. I mean, Jesus was in the temple. Of all the options that he could have had, he points to money as the sign, as the application of the love of God. He could have said, hey, look at those worshippers over there. They're really showing what it means to love God. He could have done that. Or he could have been looking at those people over there, praying prayers and saying to his disciples, look, that's how much you love God. Love God like that. It's awesome. He could have pointed to people who knew the scriptures, people who uh, you know, were just so fluent in theology. All of that was on display in the temple. He could have picked any of those examples. But here he chose money as an indicator of your love for God. Not that that's the only way to love God, of course. But nothing reveals the true extent of your heart than what you do with your money. Many of us, I think, will readily identify with the others, you know, in this section here. Verse 41, they're not mentioned by name or even by grouping, but this is just where people are coming and, and putting in money, and, you know, some of the rich people are putting in a bit more money. We'll probably identify with them. You know, the worshippers who just turn up and, and give what is, what is due and, and out of duty and out of worship and regularly. But for many of us, it is more like in what Jesus says in verse 44, we're contributing out of our abundance. You know, our giving doesn't hurt us the way it hurt that woman who gave everything she had. Sure, we could, we could take the money that we maybe use and give to God and we could spend that on other stuff. I'm not saying that's not the case. But for the majority of us, we cope all right. We are still able to have our multiple holidays and renew our car every few years and have a house full of tech. We do all right. Now, look, I'm not saying that affluence is bad. Not at all. I'm not saying that poverty is good. Certainly not. I'm not saying that we should give until we give ourselves into complete debt or extreme poverty. Absolutely not. I'm neither saying that we should make foolish decisions or be rash with our money or just go home and decide I'm going to give away all of my life savings to the church. I'm not saying that either. But what I am saying is that money is a gift. And with every gift that God gives you, it is to be enjoyed and used. And as with every gift, whether it's money or whether it's your health or whether it's your particular gifting in the church and spiritual gifts, whatever it happens to be, Gifts can be used to build the kingdom. And you can either use your gift to build God's kingdom, or you can use your gift to build your own kingdom. It's not neutral. 
So according to Jesus, real religion is marked by this radicality of giving, this sort of wholehearted, all-in, everything-I've-got-I-give-to-you kind of giving. And we often ask ourselves, I think, um, I do anyway, who can, who can really live like that? Like, it's, it's an ideal, it's, it's, it's interesting, but who can really live in this day and age? And this, this, this idea of radical or sacrificial giving, this generosity of spirit, is quite often in our circles, I think, quietly dismissed as unattainable or undesirable, uh, maybe even sort of silently mocked among middle-class evangelical Christians. There's something that we say, ah, oh, but that, that's for those kind of Christians. Not, like, God can't expect that from us, surely. Most of those hippie types, you know, who are willing to go and live in a tent, they can get away with it, but not me. I've got a wife, you know, a husband and wife. I've got a, I've got a, I've got a car, I've got, I've got a job. Can't do that sort of stuff. Maybe that's for the young, that kind of behavior. Maybe that's for the, the really rich, but the rest of us, I think, I think that just should come with an asterisk, you know, um, terms and conditions attached to that. We're more likely to subscribe to the old saying, if you take care of the pennies, you'll look after the pounds. We silently dismiss this kind of giving, this kind of uh, reflection of real religion, I think often because it reveals more about our hearts than we would like to think. So who can operate? Who can give like this? We ask ourselves. Well, the answer is found right in front of us. It is the one who loves God with their heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's the person who can give like that. The one who believes God is the defender of the widows, as it says in verse, oh, sorry, Psalm 68. That widow truly believed it. She truly believed that God has got me. Uh, she, she really believed that God loves me, that he cares for me, and he will supply everything I need. Fake religion is about I getting me everything I can. I am the source of my trust. I am the provider of all I want. Real religion says God is my everything. God gave me everything. He gave me his son. He withheld nothing from me. Therefore, I withhold nothing from him. Fake religion is about grabbing and keeping to yourself or ourselves. Real religion is about receiving and releasing. Fake religion is self-inflating. Real religion is self-giving. Fake religion is all about external games and projections and power plays of the scribes. Real religion flows from a trust-laden, faith-saturated, total love of God, as we see in this poor widow. You can see the contrast, can't you, between fake religion of the scribes and the real religion of this poor woman. And yet one had a heart that was truly going after God and the others were totally dead. So I want to finish then with, with how this then ties into our, our vision, I suppose, here at Foundation Church Belfast. And I think we have a very um, exciting opportunity here at Foundation. Many of us here in the church believe that we are on the cusp of something remarkable that God is doing in our day. We believe that. We, we, we see the signs of what he's doing He's, he's gathering people on mission. He, he's bringing gifting and, and resourcing in to the, to the house so that we can develop a healthy and a strong and influential church that, that gives much glory to God and, and, and speaks much of Jesus. 
And if you're new here, maybe, maybe you've never heard this before, but our vision here at Foundation Church Belfast is to catalyze gospel transformation in this city and in this nation through, through resourcing, renewal, and replication. And there's a, there's a blog post on the internet on, the, on our website. You can go and uh, read over those things in more detail. But what we want to do is, is to see, by the grace of God, a movement of the kingdom of God across this island that we call home. And we believe that Foundation Church is called to be a significant part in that plan. We're not going to be it. We're not going to be the only plan, but a part of that plan. And so we want to listen carefully to what God is doing and where he's leading us. And the early signs are very encouraging. But as you and I both know, it takes resources to progress more and more into that vision. Someone asked a pastor quite famously years ago, how much ministry can you do with 100 pounds? And he said about 100 pounds worth. It's not all about money here at Foundation Church. It's not all about money at all. If this is your first Sunday, uh, please don't think that we, this is what we talk about. It's not. The Bible text leads us to this conclusion. It's not about money, but money is an important tool in the progress of the gospel. We've just been seeing that Jesus identifies money as the key indicator of our response to God and our commitment to his purposes in this world. So my question to you this morning as we allow ourselves to be challenged by, by the, the, the relevance of God's word. My question to you is, how is God calling you to love him with your money? It's not about comparison and thinking about what other people are giving. It's not about great or small amounts. It's, it's you. It's, 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 what is God asking you to do? How, how is he calling you to love him with your money? I want, to, I want to give a couple of steps that, that might help you uh, to consider. Particularly, this is, this is for those who are in membership here at Foundation or who are on the, on the journey towards membership. You know, it's about belonging here. So if you're a visitor and you're looking in, um, yes, listen. Yes, allow your heart to be challenged. But uh, this is primarily for those who call Foundation Church their home. So here's a couple of steps to consider as we draw this stuff to, to close. First of all, if you're not already, start giving. Start giving to God. Start giving to God and the vision and the mission that he has given to us here at Foundation Church Belfast. And many of you give electronically. Maybe if you, many of you give uh, regularly. And if that's you, I just want to say thank you. Uh, thank you for um, sowing in and for allowing your heart to be stirred. Um, if, you, if you're not already giving and you would like to start that, and there's a few details on the back of one of your service sheets about how you, can, how you can do that. There's a bit more information on our website as well. You can check those things out. But if you're not already giving and you want to take that first step to start, um, that's, that's wonderful. Uh, but then the second step for you to consider, um, particularly, again, as you're a member or if you're walking towards membership, if you've already started giving, ask God, what is the next step? How, how can you grow in your giving? Um, maybe, maybe you're in a position to increase that. And if you are, wonderful. Maybe uh, you, your circumstances have changed from when you first started. Maybe there's a bit more wiggle room in your life. Maybe you've been stirred by God to go deeper, to, to walk deeper in, in sacrifice and in trust and in love for him. And perhaps then this is an, another step that you can take if you've already started. Ask God, where next? Maybe you're sitting here thinking to yourself, well, He's made the appeal for some money. 
Uh, where is it going? What's he spending it on? What's the church going to use it for? And, and quite simply, it, it's so that that vision that I just shared with you a few moments ago becomes a reality, that we do indeed start to trans, you know, tr- uh, see gospel transformation in this city and in this nation through resourcing, renewal, and replication. And so that means that, that we want to be in the business of planting new churches in areas where there is no gospel witness to Jesus. That's going to cost money. It doesn't happen for free. Uh, we want to be in the business here, even in our own city, of, of replanting and revitalizing that which is dead or dying and bringing it back to life to the glory of God. That's going to take money. It's more than money, but it's going to take money. It's part of it. And we want that to extend beyond us here in Belfast to, to our entire province and even our entire islands. You know, we were sharing a few weeks ago, I was about our trip down to Waterford and, um, you know, just to go and uh, spend some time with a church planter down there and, and to, to meet the community. And it was just really wonderful and, you know, just, just hard work, you know. And uh, these guys are loving Jesus and they're taking steps of faith and, and we want to bless them and encourage them. Um, but I, I must admit, as I came away from that, my heart was very much uh, grieved and, and just desiring so much more for the church south of the border. And I just think, who is in a better position really than us here north in the north to be able to bless our brothers and sisters and, and, and give hope and faith and trust and prayer and money to, the, to those we want to see coming into the kingdom of God? We can't do it on our own, but we can bless those who are already doing it in the trenches. Advancing the gospel, it will take money. It will take training. It will take staff to be added. It will take works of service and ministry and serving the poor as we go as a demonstration of our love for Jesus. Maybe even one day here, a building project at Foundation Church Belfast. All of this requires resourcing if we are to move further and deeper into our mission that God has called us to. So there you have it, fake religion and real religion. As they say in a lot of the crime dramas that I seem to watch, Follow the money. Yeah, if, you're, if you're getting stuck, you're looking for a lead, follow the money. Where does it go? Where does it flow? Does it flow towards you, like in fake religion? Or does it flow out of you, like in real religion? Follow the power, follow the influence. Where does it go, towards you or out of you? Because here at Foundation Church, we are a community of people who look at Jesus and we say, like he said of this widow, We look at Jesus and we say, out of his poverty, he gave everything he had so that we could become rich. So now we give everything we have in love and thanks to him. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen. Let's pray.